electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan tonight. Labor unrest across the country spreads as the UAW strike expands. Is anyone in the mood to make a deal with fair demands? Interest rates on the march. Where can you keep making money? Countdown to shutdown. Congress careens toward the brink. We have the fast-moving developments. The iPhone 15 on sale now, but is it worth that hefty price tag? We put it to the test. From the magazine stand to vacation destination, Sports Illustrated makes a giant leap into college town resorts. And if you resold a ticket to see the likes of Taylor Swift, Beyonce, or Lionel Messi, the IRS may have some questions for you. That and much more. Last Call is up right now. Good Friday, everyone. Tonight, we begin with breaking developments out of Detroit. President Biden set to travel to Michigan Tuesday to support the UAW workers. In a post on X, formerly Twitter, the president writes he'll join the picket line and stand in solidarity with the men and women of the UAW as they fight for a fair share of the value they helped create. The president adds it's time for a win-win agreement that keeps American auto manufacturing thriving with well-paid UAW jobs. That announcement comes as the auto workers strike has expanded to GM and Stellantis parts distribution centers. CNBC's Phil LeBeau is live in Romulus, Michigan. Give us the latest here, Phil. Contessa, we're outside of Mopar parts distribution center here in Romulus. There are 38 of these distribution centers around the country where the UAW is now on strike. We were up just north of Detroit when about 200 workers walked out of a Mopar plant up there. 5,600 in all, just approximately around the country, are now on strike who worked at parts distribution centers. Here are the strike locations. There are 38 between General Motors and Stellantis. Note I just say General Motors and Stellantis. Ford is not involved in these strikes today. And these are the parts distribution centers in 20 states. When we caught up with the president of the UAW earlier today, we asked him, what, why, why now with the parts distribution centers instead of a final assembly plant? Here's what he had to say. There's a lot of options with our stand-up strike strategy, and it's just going to depend on what these companies do. This is uh, our next move in the process, and uh, I think it's a great move. Um, this is one of the strongest aspects of our membership is these PDCs. They generate a lot of profits, especially for Stellantis. They generate a lot of profits. During the economic recession, these are the people that kept the company going. These are the people that were working seven days a week, 12 hours a day during the recession. And so, so they're an important part of what we do. They are also the people who are in charge of the shipments of parts that go to dealerships around the country. So you will see dealerships running low on some key parts over the next several days, several weeks. The key points that we've talked about for some time, the, the, the crux of the argument, 
between the UAW and the automakers. They want, the UAW wants a 40% raise over four and a half years. They want an end to wage tiers, which means bringing people in at a lower wage and then taking several years to get to the top pay, reinstating cost of living adjustments, as well as an improvement in retiree benefits. Bottom line is this, Contessa, this expanded strike today was only at GM and Stellantis facilities. Ford was not involved because Sean Fain said earlier today there has been some progress, real progress, between the UAW and Ford. Doesn't mean we're expecting an agreement anytime soon, but there is an improvement in their talks, and that's the reason they decided not to strike Ford today as they are with GM and Stellantis. Phil, is it your sense that Ford has a kind of blueprint that the other two companies could follow and get a deal done? I'm not sure they have a blueprint. Um, there are unique issues with Stellantis involving a plant outside of Rockford, Illinois, in Belvedere. The UAW wants it reopened for final assembly. I'm not sure that's the plan. Frankly, it's so far it's not the plan from Stellantis, though that's part of the negotiation. That's unique to Stellantis. And then with regard to General Motors, Ford is perhaps a little bit further along for a variety of reasons. Uh, maybe they're giving a little bit more in certain areas than General Motors, though GM today issued a statement saying, look, we have been very generous in our offers. We're ready to do fair bargaining. Uh, we need the UAW to come back and sit at the bargaining table. There's frustration with all of the automakers that they do not believe that the UAW has been responsive enough to the offers that they've made. Phil, thank you very much for uh, bringing us the very latest. I see that there's uh, guys out on the, and women out on the picketing line right now. I think what we want to do is give you a break. Let's bring in one of those workers and talk to an employee who's actually out there who's got real finances on the bottom line. In the meantime, while they're switching out, Let's take a look at the shares of the big three automakers today. Reports that Ford was making some progress toward a deal. You can see the shares outperforming GM and Stellantis. It uh, ended the day higher by almost 2%. And here's this week's performance. You can see GM off by 4%, Ford down by 1.5%, and Stellantis up, ending the week in the positive uh, half a percent. Okay, so joining us now, Ilonda Austin a UAW union member and Stellantis employee. I understand, I'm, I'm just hearing that they call you Miss E out there on the picket lines and at work. Thank you for joining us, Ilonda. You're welcome. Give me a sense about what is most important to you when your union representatives go and sit down at the negotiating table. Well, to me, what's most important is we have a pension because we have nothing to look forward to when we retire. Also, we need fair wages. It's not fair that, for example, I get removed from a plant to a parts plant and get my pay cut. We should be all equal, no matter what. We are union brothers and sisters. Also, we need cost of living. Inflation is sky high. We are we working paycheck to paycheck while the big three is living pretty. And what about the retirees? Not to mention the TBTs who work for years, who contribute and have nothing to look forward to. Uh, Yolanda, I understand that you come from a family of auto workers here. Was this expectation of collective bargaining sort of drilled into you even as a child? Yes, ma'am. My father worked for GM Powertrain for 30.8 years. 
I have family members in Stellantis as we speak. I have family members in Ford. We need our fair share. We have made concessions after concessions after concessions. And where has it gotten us? We didn't ask for this. They left us no choice. Are you? Are My you, question is. Are you confident, Elonda? Are you confident in the leadership of the UAW in representing you and, and taking these strikes to the streets? Yes, I am. It's not just for us. We need the community as well, because the CEOs are making it look like we're the cause. No, they're the cause. We're not out here picketing for no reason. We want to work. We just get tired of working for nothing. We in these plants more than we have time to spend with our families. We work seven days a week, 12 hours. Our family is the plant. We have to make time for our families. That's not fair why they endure their families. How long are you prepared to be out on strike? I'm prepared for as long as it takes. Elonda, thank you for sharing some of your time and certainly your perspective with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me and God bless you. The first week of the UAW strike has had, of course, a major impact on the American economy. According to a new estimate from the consulting firm Anderson Economic Group, the auto worker walkout has resulted in economic losses that total more than $1.6 billion. Let's bring in the author of that note, Patrick Anderson, principal and CEO of Anderson Economic Group. I'm curious, when you look, Patrick, at the strategic walkouts, does that uh, enter at all into your calculations of total economic loss? Well, certainly. What the UAW has done here has uh, to undertake strikes that would cripple certain portions of the big threes, the Detroit threes, ability to produce cars, to produce parts, support their dealers. Uh, and it's resulted in fewer workers, UAW workers, walking off the job. So their strike fund hasn't been as affected as much as in a traditional strike. Well, at the same time, there's been a substantial loss to uh, the suppliers, to the uh, GM, Ford, and Stellantis, and there's starting to be losses at dealers. It's a lot of money to lose in just one week, and it's going to get bigger in the second week. When you look at the fact that they're now uh, targeting parts plants, I think there was a sense before that if it was the finishing, the finishing lines, that it might affect what you see show up on dealership lots. But when it's parts plants, it might show up in how long people have to wait to get their cars fixed, right? Are you, do you anticipate that, that this sort of strategic strike makes the pain felt beyond the auto workers community? Oh, definitely. This is part of the strategy. And of course, uh, unionized workers have every right to strike, and we heard a very articulate worker there who said why she wanted to strike. At the same time, you as a customer would like your car fixed, and you as an independent uh, owner of a company that is making parts for for these automakers or that is doing service work or doing electrician work or other things, you'd like to get paid too. So this is definitely affecting far outside the unionized portion of the industry. And with the effect on parts that are going to dealership, 
it's going to be going to literally every small and medium-sized town in America. Patrick Anderson, it's good of you to give us your time on this Friday. Thank you. We have a quick programming note here. Filmmaker and activist Michael Moore will join Last Call Tuesday to talk about the auto worker strike and the broader labor movement sweeping America right now. You don't want to miss that interview. It's Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. <clears throat> Here's what happened to your money this week. Dow down 1.9%. S&P down 2.9%. NASDAQ down 3.6%. The biggest studs of the week were SIBO Global Markets up five and three tenths of a percent. Humana, 5% higher. Allstate, up 4.9%. The biggest dud, Caesars, down 13%. Hey, that hack didn't help. Moderna, down 12.7%. And MGM Resorts, again, hit with the cyber intrusion, down 11.1%. Up next, the government shutdown now, seeming all but inevitable. Is an ouster of Speaker McCarthy next? We head to D.C. with the fresh developments. Plus, the iPhone 15 officially here and on sale. Oh, yeah, everybody in line's clapping about it. But do you need it? A no-punches-pulled review ahead. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Last Call. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. And there's one big story that will be developing over the weekend. And of course, next week, federal funding is quickly running out. And without congressional action, we'll soon face a government shutdown. CNBC's Washington correspondent Emily Wilkins joins us now. What's the latest? Watching as the clock is just ticking here, Emily. It absolutely is, Contessa, and it just doesn't look like they're going to be able to get something done. This week was disastrous for House Republicans. Members tried and failed multiple times to pass spending bills, so now the Senate's stepping in. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer set the ball in motion last night for the Senate to be the first to move on a stopgap measure. And unlike the House, Schumer has promised that the Senate bill will be bipartisan. We must work in a bipartisan fashion to keep our government open, avoid a shutdown, and avoid inflicting unnecessary pain on the American people. This action will give the Senate the option to do just that. 
Now, the senators who are working on this short-term bill, they say that it will include aid for Ukraine as well as disaster relief for flooding and other, fi other fires. Now, over in the House, progress on that short-term stopgap to keep the government funded, that's been completely halted by just a handful of members who've insisted on first passing the 12 bills needed to fully fund the government next year. Speaker Kevin McCarthy defended the strategy, but also indicated that he would still push for a way to avoid the government shutdown while the long-term funding is being debated and passed through the House. I think funding the government while you're going through that conference is important because if you don't, troops are being paid, border agents are being paid, and I don't think you'll have an honest conference at that time. Even though McCarthy does want the government to remain funded, he has less than eight days. And honestly, the question in Washington at this point isn't if the government will shut down, but how long the shutdown will be. The White House is already preparing for a lapse in funding. Their Office of Management and Budget is asking federal agencies to start updating their plans for a shutdown. In a statement, a spokesperson said that it's now up to House Republicans to do their jobs and prevent a needless government shutdown that would damage our economy and national security. A shutdown would mean no paycheck for hundreds and thousands of federal workers and could cost the economy several billions. And Contessa, it just looks completely unavoidable at this moment. And those House Republicans who are responsible for getting there apparently left town for the weekend. What's the pressure like to, for them to come to the table and try to get this done? Or are they feeling right now like the ball's in their court? I mean, right now, the House is just completely gridlocked. There are members who are trying to move things forward, but because they're focused on these 12 big spending bills instead of the immediate problem, there's just really no way forward in the House, which is why I think it's going to be interesting to watch what the Senate does and what the Senate winds up producing. Emily, thank you very much for joining us. Have a good weekend. Meantime, cooling slightly today. Interest rates have been on a relentless march up, though, and it is pressing stocks down in a major way. The 10-year yield hit its highest level since 2007 this week, helping fuel a 3% drop for the S&P 500 and its worst week since early March. And it's raising a pressing question. If rates keep surging, what should investors do? Joining me now with further insight is G-Squared Private Wealth Chief Investment Officer Victoria Green. Victoria, it's good to see you here on Last Call. All right, so where do you put your money right now? If you've got the yields up, rates up and stocks down, what do you do? You don't fight the Fed. At this point, the yields look like they've broken out and we may retest highs at 472 to five on the 10 year. And anytime you're doing comps to 2007, I think every investor should step back and say, whoa, we really need to take a, a picture of what it's looking like macro and what does this future look like for rate hikes? Look, 12 out of 19 committee members were saying, hey, we've got one more hike this year. Uh, and then we still have a terminal rate at 5.1 was the average dot plot. So I think investors need to watch out for those long duration growth stocks. This AI frenzy has kind of backed off. So some of that momentum we saw that carried markets the first half of this year now may have, have faded and we didn't see a lot of earnings pops from some of those names like nvidia had picture perfect earnings really never got a good response so i think you look more defensive a little bit lower valuation things that that have great balance sheets good cash flows and can sustain a little bit of a pullback here like what 
Well, I like the energy sector. I think they're pretty well positioned. Uh, I think, honestly, with what the Saudis are doing, it's likely oil prices will stay higher than longer, uh, higher for longer. Don't necessarily love U.S. EMPs, but I love the service companies. I like the integrated oils and some of the international names as well. Uh, I don't mind some of the international stocks in Japan and Europe, if you look at what their central banks are doing. And and I'm just avoiding a little bit overpriced large caps. Uh, small caps, I think, are a little dangerous right now. EM with China, I think, is a bit of a question mark. But if you look for some... and, and eventually, it might be early still, but once the rate hikes start, stop, real estate is a really nice place to go. It's just probably a little early for that. Uh, and then some of the discretionary, I know that's kind of uh, weird if we think the consumer is stretched, but some of the discretionary stocks may have some room to run here as well. It's a little bit like a Goldilocks outlook. Not too big, not too small. You're looking for something that's just right. Victoria, right. thank you. Absolutely. It's, it's a pivotal moment for the markets here. Uh, for more exclusive insights, join us for the Delivering Alpha Investor Summit on September 28th in New York City. We'll convene investors and leaders to provide insight, ideas, and analysis to help you balance the risk with maximized returns. You can scan the QR code or visit cnbcevents.com slash delivering alpha. Still ahead, the iPhone 15 arrives. Can it possibly live up to the hype and pay off all those people standing in line for some of them overnight for 12 hours? And at that price, a review you don't want to miss. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. It's Friday. Time for your weekly exclusive insider buying breakdown, giving you the five companies with the most buys by corporate insiders. The names come from Verity Data. Here we go. Five to one. Which companies are board members betting on? Number five, Semtech, which makes semiconductors, saw a board member make a $496,000 purchase. Number four, TKO, which is appropriately the parent company of the WWE and UFC. It saw board member Jonathan Kraft, son of Patriots owner Robert Kraft, make a half-million-dollar stock purchase as well. That firm was formed just 10 days ago after the merger completed. Coming in at number three, electric vehicle charging company ChargePoint. One board member bought in big time at nearly $3 million. Number two, a board member at natural gas company CNX Resources doubled down, buying more than $3 million in company stock and also bought earlier in the year. Energy is clearly dominating the board this week with EV chargers and natural gas, and it's no different with our number one insider buy. Enphase Energy had a $4 million buy by board member TJ Rogers. So there you go. Semtech, TKO Group, ChargePoint, CNX Resources, and Enphase Energy. And a reminder, we do this every week outside earnings season, and you will see it only here on Last Call. Let's turn to the world of tech. You may remember this from 2007. June 29th, Apple literally changed the world when it released the first model of the iPhone. And as you see here, then-CEO Steve Jobs stopped by the Apple store in Palo Alto, California to celebrate. That original iPhone came with either 4 gigs or 8 gigs of storage. 
a two megapixel camera and had a starting price of $499. Fast forward 16 years later, Apple rolling out the iPhone 15 today and CEO Tim Cook was at the Apple Store's flagship location in New York City to mark the rollout. And to applause. The iPhone 15 comes with far more bells and whistles than the original, including a super powerful chip, an improved camera, and the cheapest version of having 128 gigs of storage. Just a tad more power and storage than the original iPhone. The iPhone 15 Pro offers an even better chip and camera with a starting price of a little less than $1,000. So with all the hype, are the new phones actually worth the upgrade? Let's ask Wall Street Journal's personal technology columnist and CNBC contributor, Joanna Stern. I mean, I saw the pictures. I saw you shove it in your front pocket and say, wait a minute, it still doesn't fit. You don't like that. What do you like, Joanna? Well, I like that you teed us up here for going back 16 years. And because <laughs> when you look at when you look at the innovation year over year, let's say the last three years, people say, oh, it's incremental. And I review these every year and I feel that way. But when you look all the way back, it absolutely is still a giant innovation. And when I look at this year's phones, I really do think those bigger phones, I, I know you looked at those pictures of, in the pockets, but I really do think the bigger phone, especially on the Pro Max, that's the expensive one at $1,100, or sorry, $1,200 basically, it, it is a compelling buy. And that is because they have used a new titanium edge or shell to that device that makes it lighter. It feels lighter. I said in my review, it does not feel like you're going to smash that phone on your face when you're holding it in bed. It just, it feels easier to hold. And I've people who have long wanted bigger phones, and that's what Apple's been pushing port towards this is a good buy. Uh, what about the camera? What did you find with this camera as opposed to the previous models? When you're looking at past previous models year over year, the camera improvements are not substantial. But when you look back to, let's say you're coming from a 12 or you're coming from a 13, you will see some of those improvements. You'll see them in low light. You'll see them in zoom. Again, going back to that iPhone uh, 15 Pro Max here. That one has an extra zoom, a 5x zoom this year, so you can get even closer. As I said in my review, I don't have to actually go and stand up at the splash pad when my kids are playing. I can just watch them through the camera and take photos and not get wet. So true innovation from Apple. So if you have a parent a, of the year for me. <laughs> for, for sure, I was going to say that. In fact, I'm surprised we didn't have that in a banner. I, if you have an iPhone 14, is it worth the upgrade? And at what model do you go back and say no to the 14? But you mentioned, say, 12 or 13. So I'm assuming those of us who still claim to own an iPhone 10 maybe should think about the upgrade. Yes, iPhone 10 definitely, because you're going to really stop getting those software updates, and that's just a security issue. But when you actually showed all those people lining up at the stores, my guess is those are people that upgrade every year. They love the iPhone so much. They care about those smaller new features. It's a new button. It's a new dynamic island. Most people, and I don't have the stats on this, but a, a large chunk of the people do not do that every year. Apple bets on some of those people every year, but they also bet on these people that do two to three or three to four year upgrades. And if you are one of those people coming from a 12, coming from a 13, you will see substantial improvements in some places on the 15. It's not going to be like it was back in the day when you went from the six to the 10, but yeah. it is a good improvement. You know, uh, Joanna, just a little tip from a real pro here. If you want to put your phone in your pocket, you got to choose the back pocket. That's all I'm saying. I 
Yeah, I just you know, it's and you're sitting on it and you're worried about it bending. But yeah, most of the time I am walking around. She's going to put a little asterisk. The next column is going to be with a little asterisk. Contessa says back pocket works. Thank you, Joanna. Still ahead, labor unrest gaining steam around the U.S. Are workers still making fair demands? Unions across America are flexing their muscles as more workers demand better pay and working conditions. To name just a few examples, there's the auto strike happening right now, of course. Riders and Actors Guild uh, grinding Hollywood to a halt over the past few months. Tens of thousands of healthcare workers are set to hit the picket lines in California, Oregon, and Washington. And 40,000 Vegas hospitality workers are on the verge of a strike pending a vote next week. Worker unrest is also spreading into sports. Today, Wrigley Field concession workers overwhelmingly voted to authorize a strike that could occur at any moment. Even Dartmouth's men's basketball team filed a petition to unionize last week. It's the second time a college team has tried to unionize in the last decade. Are workers making fair demands? How does this affect corporate America and the economy? Let's talk about it with founder and CEO of Operation Hope, John Hope Bryant, an economic analyst and columnist at the American Enterprise Institute, James Pethokoukis. He's the author of the upcoming book, The Conservative Futurist, How to Create the Sci-Fi World We Were Promised. All right, Jimmy, on that basis, become a futurist now and tell me what's the future of strikes across America? Will we see more and will they be effective? Yeah, well, my prediction is if we continue to have a tight labor market, you're going to see workers make demands. And if that involves them going on strike, you're going to see that, too. I mean, that is by that is the most important factor, really, uh, driving these demands. Look, you know, wage growth, you know, was actually very strong uh, right before the pandemic. And you've had, you know, bad wage growth on a on a inflation adjusted basis of late. So you put those two things together and you put a tight labor market. It's not it's not surprising that there's uh, going to be unrest. And then you have technological change, which is what we're seeing in autos and in Hollywood. We should not be surprised if these are important, if the energy transition is important, if the AI revolution is important, there's going to be disruption and we should expect to see lots of labor tumult. But some of it, it just stands to reason. I mean, you want writers and actors who say, hey, we're moving to streaming. We ought to get paid when our show's are on streaming or get sold from streaming. I mean, my goodness, the UPS workers wanted air conditioning in their trucks. Really? That's the big demand to get air conditioning in your trucks? It seems like a no-brainer. What do you have to say about this point, John? I think you just made a, I mean, what you just said was a radical movement of common sense, which is also why I think UPS did a really smart thing and uh, did what Henry Ford did in early 1900s uh, with Ford Motor Company and paid the workers enough to buy the automobiles they were making, that was Henry Ford. Uh, and in this particular example, UPS reinvested in the most important asset they have, which is not their drivers, it's not their, their trucks, it's their drivers. I, I don't know if I disagree or agree with what my colleague just said. I, I, it was all sort of lost in nuance a little bit there, but let me just say this. The middle class has been shrinking since 1971, okay? And the last time we had a growing, thriving economy was post-World War II for the middle class, where we had this unified, we understood we were at war, we had a unified plan called the GI Bill that gave people a, a, an education, as much education you can shove down your throat, a, a shot at a job training uh, for the future, and uh, home ownership. And that created a whole generation of middle class folks 
mostly, uh, by the way, mainstream, I might add, uh, that rocketed us through the end of the 20th and in the 21st century. Okay. And uh, and so you got what you have. Two things can be true at the same time. You can you can you can acknowledge that your workers are not being paid enough. And you also have to acknowledge that that the management has to win. You cannot have uh, management and union at odds with each other. Otherwise, we'll be speaking Mandarin in five to 10 years. You've got to be in line. That's Delta and that's UPS. Part of the problem here, too, is not just that workers want to make more money. They're looking at the gap between what the big boss is making and what they're making. The Economic Policy Institute calculated the CEO to average production worker pay went from 40 to 1 40 years ago to 400 to 1 now. That is a massive increase in pay at the top. Do these strikes have any chance of narrowing the gap, Jimmy? Well, one, you know, I'll, I, I've written a lot about those EPI numbers. I'm not going to get into it now. But over the long term, pay tends to loosely match productivity. If workers become more productive, they will be paid more. And if you look at the you know, what's going on with the auto workers, how has auto worker productivity gone? Have they become more productive? Are the cars better? I mean, the last time I checked, if you look at like the most reliable brands, there's not a lot of U.S. automakers brands in that top 10 or top 20. So you have to look at it. if they don't become more productive. Sure, they may be able to be able to bargain for more money. But if they're not more productive, those companies will not be in a better competitive con uh, uh, condition, at least in the case of the automakers. They're already the sort of the high cost provider. And in the long term, if they're not competitive, uh, you better hope that uh, that maybe the government will up those subsidies for those electric vehicles because that's the only way they're going to make money. You know, that's an interesting point because one of the sticking points for the riders seems to be a minimum number of staff for any production. And you've got the big studio saying, yeah, but we can't guarantee that we have to hire five or 10 or 30 riders for any specific production. Like, what if you just don't need the workers anymore? We're seeing this across the board, John, that there are uh, there are industries where automation is taking over, and part of what we see from workers is fear about losing their job to mm -hmm. a machine. Yeah, we're, 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 well, I was about to say, we just said that last brilliant thing, we're having the wrong conversation. America needs a business plan. It needs to be a 10-year, a minimum 10-year business plan. And, and you've got to reset uh, worker pay so that people can actually have a living wage. I'm going to go one step beyond that. We need to do what Delta did. Delta, we're the financial coach for all Delta employees and UPS employees. At Delta, you get financial coaching and a $1,000 emergency savings account if you go through financial coaching. At the top end, you get profit sharing. When the company does well, guess what? The workers do well. Coming out of the pandemic, Contessa, who was the most profitable airline in America? Delta Airlines. Who had the least drama with their employees? Not to have to lay off anybody? No drama? Delta Airlines. Who, who had the, the, the $18 billion in profit this last year? Delta Airlines, while they're giving a billion dollars or more in profit sharing to their employees. Delta employees are brilliantly happy because they feel like they're shareholders in the dream. And, and UPS, I think, made a similar move in what they recently did with doing financial coaching for them as well. I think you need a new business plan, Contessa. We're making, we're, we're making a false choice. You can't ask, workers can't say, I want to live in 1970. That's done. You can also, uh, 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 the, the creators of, of, of wealth cannot say, we don't know what the future looks like, yeah. so we, won't, we can't compensate you. You've got to have a blended answer that has proper participation when things are going well, a balance, of, a base at the bottom, financial coaching when things are going bad, 
and then an agreement that workers are going to be in alignment with management, rooting for their success, which I believe me and my colleague would well, agree well, on. I and feel then like there's, yeah. the UAW, I think the UAW wants more than financial coaching. But uh, but a piece of the pie, my uh, financial coaching may be part of it, but, you know, a piece of the pie is, I think, pretty much what Sean Fain is saying. He's just not saying a share of it. John, nice to see you. Jimmy, nice to see you. Thank you, guys. Coming up, Sports Illustrated's big leap from the magazine stand to hotel brand. Really? And it may be coming to a college sports town near you. Plus, Robert Frank joins us from Midtown Manhattan on what is becoming the rage with the wealthy. Hey, Contessa. Well, from wine rooms like this one to celebrity chefs and even anti-aging labs, the arms race among private membership clubs has reached a whole new level. We're going to take you inside the king of clubs here in Midtown Manhattan and tell you what it costs. Coming up on Last Call right after this break. Welcome back. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, wealthy Americans are flocking to private clubs with sky-high membership prices. Will the new trend last? CNBC wealth reporter Robert Frank joins us with more. Robert? Hey, Contessa. Well, the Power Lunch is going private. More than a dozen private membership clubs have opened in New York City just since the pandemic. This is kind of a new breed of membership club where the business elite can socialize, can network, and work all outside of the public eye. And that privacy comes with a big price. The Amman Club, which is just across the street, charges $200,000 just to join and $15,000 a year in annual dues. They all kind of have their own focus. So Casa Cipriani is more of a restaurant hotel downtown. Zero Bond is more of a nightlife vibe. And then ZZ's Club, which is about to open in Hudson Yards and is owned by a major food group, they are all about what you literally bring to the table. The things that bring people back is great food, great service, great experiences, great connections to the staff, great you know ability to uh, cater to people's needs and desires. Now we are here giving you the first ever look inside Core Club. They are about to move into this new 60,000 square foot space over four floors in Midtown. They've got a salon, they've got a massage area, they've got an anti-aging lab that is guaranteed to take 10 years off the look of your skin. Now, Core Club says it's not just about the amenities. We curate spaces, we curate people, we curate ideas and culture. And we curate a community of relentlessly curious, unlike-minded people from across the spectrum. And the cost for Core Club will be $15,000 to $100,000 just to join, along with annual membership dues of between fifteen dollars and $18,000. Contessa, despite what may sound like a very high price tag, they have a lot of new applications to go through. Back to you. Uh, yes, because membership has its privileges. If private clubs aren't really your thing, how about a resort devoted to sports? Travel and Leisure announced its acquired sports hospitality ventures and will open up the first Sports Illustrated branded resort in a college town in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The resort's set to open in late 2025. It's planned to be one of many sports-centric vacation destinations in college towns across the country with a Sports Illustrated flair. In addition to the hotel, the resorts will offer vacation club memberships, residential condos, 
Joining me now with more on the new venture, Travel and Leisure CEO Mike Brown. Mike, it's good to see you. Why sports? Why do you think this is the thing that will sell people on that vacation destination? Well, let's start with where people's passion is. And today's passion is around college sports and the fan bases, alumni associations and the communities they live in. There's not a there's not a day that goes by that you run into a colleague in the hallway or in the neighborhood that they're not passionate about sports. And when you think about hospitality these days, it's all about a lifestyle and the lifestyle that draws passion, draws commitment, and ultimately the way you want to live is sports centric. And we're excited. Um, sports Hospitality Ventures is actually the holder of the ownership and license of the Sports Illustrated name. They're putting together with us the ultimate sports network in North America. And the college towns is an obvious place to start. And the reception we've received in the first 48 hours has been absolutely through the roof. You know, it's interesting because we've seen some of these ventures. I had interviewed uh, Vici, which is a, a gaming REIT, about their partnership yes, with Canyon Ranch. So that they're going toward the wellness stage. Uh, you've got Mattel pairing up for a Barbie Hot Wheels resort in Arizona that's going to offer a sort of theme park. Is it is it now that we need something that is so niche that it, it appeals to particular fans of one kind of entertainment or other? I don't think it's... Uh... I don't think it's so niche. I do think the trend you're referring to, which is people associating with what they love, is a reality. And what we love about this relationship with Sports Illustrated is there's probably no one that you'll come across that doesn't have a personal memory in the history where Sports Illustrated's not involved, um, whether it's college towns or whether it's leisure destinations. Everyone has an affinity towards Sports Illustrated. And when authentic brands bought the brand five or six years ago, they knew the brand could be more than a magazine. This is the first expression of that. And the University of Alabama has received us with open arms. But as typical in college sports, there's competition. And we're already receiving inbound, inbound phone calls in addition to the pipeline we already have saying, we want to be next. We want to be that in that entertainment district next to the football stadium or the basketball arena. Did you look at other sports brands? I mean, did you look at, say, ESPN, which just made this um, big deal with uh, Penn Gaming to get into sports gambling and, and be paired there with sports books? Had you looked at other brands other than Sports Illustrated? Well, at Travel and Leisure, uh, we changed our name. We were formerly Wyndham Destinations, we, and we bought Travel and Leisure from the same company that's, that Meredith bought Sports Illustrated uh, five years ago. And our, the whole objective that we had was to begin to expand our brand portfolio. So I would say that as we've looked to expand our brand portfolio beyond Wyndham and Margaritaville and now Sports Illustrated, we're looking at a number of different brands. Mm -hmm. um, we think this is unique. Gaming is not part of this. It's, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, condominiums, hotels, vacation clubs, but really focusing on the legacy of that sports town through celebrating its history with Sports Illustrated, but also letting the consumer participate through events, concerts, maybe competing against a world-class yeah. athlete virtually. So uh, we've looked at a lot of different brands. Mike, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time on a Friday evening. Coming up, reselling your ticket to a hot live event never paid so well. 
And of course, the IRS is set to come in and, I don't know, spoil the party. Stay with us. money reselling tickets this year congratulations and the tax man cometh for you a newly implemented law means the irs can tax those pricey taylor swift eras tour ticket resales and any other tickets where resellers made a tidy profit joining us now wall street journal personal finance reporter ashlea ebling ashlea i know you wrote the story on this uh give me a sense of how much money did you have to profit off of a resale to matter to the irs uh, well, actually, no matter what your profit is, you owe money to the IRS. So the, <laughs> that's the bad news for people. Um, the good news is, is so many fans sold tickets at such crazy resale prices. Um, and then some of them even took took that money to then and then still got to go to the shows. They got got to use those that money to buy other tickets. But the the short story is the IRS is coming and. Congress changed the law that anything, anyone who had transactions of $600 or more, they would get a form called a Form 1099-K, and those will come in January, and you'd have to attach that to your, with your tax return, you have to report it on your tax return and and pay the taxes. So you're not going to fly under the radar, but you can still do the right thing even if you didn't make $600 or more is what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, we saw this crazy year where all kinds of people were th thinking, hey, should I resell my tickets? I mean, you had tickets for the Inter-Miami games going from $30 to like $300 for Lionel Messi. That was the Messi effect, right? Right, so you've got you Beyonce, Harry Styles, um, yeah, the Messi soccer tickets. We have examples of, of Swifty fans and... Um, also messy fans. Some of them knew about the tax consequences, some don't, but you know, they understand it. So they say it's okay to give Uncle Sam their fair share. Yeah, well, you know, do the right thing and you don't want to get caught by the taxes. That's the sad way to go. Ashley Ebeling, thank you. Thank you. Do you know what happened 29 years ago? Tonight, America was introduced to six young adults living in New York City, including this guy. That's sad. We're just not 21 anymore, you know? I'm 29 years old, damn it. And I want to sit in a comfortable chair and watch television and go to sleep at a reasonable hour. Yeah. Friends, of course, one of the most beloved TV shows of all time. So popular, in fact. The cast got paid. This was big news at the time. I, rem I remember reporting on this. A million dollars per episode for the final two seasons. Guess how they got it? collective bargaining. They went in together and they said, you're going to pay us each a million dollars per episode or none of us are doing this. They got what they wanted. There's collective bargaining for you. More than 52 million Americans tuned in to say goodbye to the Gang for the Friends series finale in 2004. It was one of the most watched episodes in TV history. Ross and Rachel were not on a break. Last call for tonight. Have a great weekend. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. 
Visit OneTravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel.